0: Good everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of Series 2 of the Wide Open Road Podcast, a podcast where retired professional athletes share their stories of transition to life after sport. Series 2 seems to have flown by, and I'm eternally grateful to all my guests for giving up their time to share their stories of transition as they continue their journeys in life after sport. As I previously mentioned, the COVID-19 pandemic has reinforced the critical importance of connection, and I hope the stories shared on the Wide Open Road Podcast provide some relief from what has been a very challenging time for us all. My guest today is former professional basketballer Alex Opacic. Alex fell in love with basketball at 12 years of age, developed into an elite talent, spent time at the Australian Institute of Sport, was recruited to play college basketball in the USA and played professional basketball in Europe. Then his career took a massive blow when a knee injury intervened. However, his knee injury changed his life for the better. It's just that at the time, Alex didn't realize that the skills he learned as a professional basketballer would help drive his off-field success. This success has seen him develop into an entrepreneur, and he now runs his own business called Athlete to Business. Please enjoy my conversation with Alex Opacic. Alex, it's great to see you, and thanks so much for joining us this afternoon on the Wide Open Road podcast. One of the things that I wanted to start with is you have gone through a really fascinating journey from if you're like a child prodigy of, of basketball you became an elite basketballer and then at a relatively young age in a sporting context it all stopped because of a knee injury I want to talk to you first about what was it like when you realized that the knee injury was serious enough that it was going to stop your career what did you think and then how did you start planning a journey for life after sport
1: yeah good good question and thanks for, for having me on first of all really appreciate it and, uh, that's going be a, it's going to be a fun one. Um, how I felt when I found out it was quite a serious injury and you know, it was going to uh, pretty much end my basketball career was extremely disappointed uh, and extremely... I don't even know how to use the words to describe it. I, I, I felt lost, just completely lost, disappointed, and uh, I had really no, no vision for the future or... Uh, it was just kind of yeah. I can't even describe it to you. Like I, I remember exactly how it felt, and it was just one of the worst feelings I've, I've ever had—a feeling of, of completely lost, uh, worthless, um, highly, highly disappointed, and uh, complete failure. That's how I felt.
0: <laughs> and if you think about if you think about that, and that—that's a pretty disturbing kind of description of a, of a young man in the prime of his life, not just his athletic life, but in his, his life himself. Why do you think you felt like that? Was it because you didn't – sorry, that you threw everything you had at basketball and there was no kind of other balance in your life with respect to interests outside of, outside of the sporting sphere? Was that sort of, do you think, one of the reasons why you felt the way you did?
1: That, that's part of it, and that, that's probably on a subconscious level. It wasn't the first thought that came to my mind. I, I think subconsciously I knew I had no other I thought at the time I had no other skills no other passions no other interest in anything outside of basketball um, but the immediate reason why I felt that way is because you know you're chasing this basketball dream all your life it's all
0: you ever want to do and ever wanted to do and, and and you enjoy the the process
1: as well like I Absolutely love getting up every morning knowing that I'm chasing my dream of playing professional basketball. And here I was playing professional basketball. It's just an amazing feeling. Uh, you know, you feel on top of the world, and then all of a sudden, all that comes crushing down. So the fact that all that came crushing down was the immediate thought of why I was so disappointed as opposed to well what am I going to do now oh oh shit I've got nothing else to do now I think that was more of a secondary thought which was also disappointing so all that you know I think it all it all came and hit me at once but the first thing that hit me was well I can't play basketball anymore well that's that sucks Um, really sucks and then the second thing that hit me was, well, shit, what do I do now? I
0: don't know. <laughs> so that was, yeah, all all came came at once. And I mean, it, yeah. it's 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 a it's a really salient lesson about some of the things that we talk about on this podcast. Is that is that the athletic career can go and be ripped away from you really quickly, and the ability to be able to pivot into other components or other aspects of life also become much more in focus when people hear stories like this. But before we go forward, we're just going to go back a little bit because I want you to just tell our listeners a little bit about your story from a young boy that that was playing football, realised that maybe that wasn't the sport for you. You moved across to basketball. And as you say in the beautifully written Meet the Founder story on your Athlete to Business website, you fell in love with basketball at the age of 12. Pick it up from there.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. So I, I, I was born in Croatia. Um, and then we moved to Australia when I was about 10. But as you'd imagine, we're, we're all football mad in Croatia. Soccer. So I'll, I'll just say, I'll just use the word football. So i will a little referent to it as soccer. And uh, when I came to Australia, that, that's what I continued playing. I started growing quite rapidly. Uh, when I was about 12, I was so much taller than everybody else. Started looking like a giraffe on the football pitch. This wasn't a good look. Uh, my dad suggested I go play basketball, and I did and uh, in a a suburb called Liverpool here in Sydney at the Woodland Leisure Centre is where I grew up playing. Uh, And man, I absolutely loved it. I fell in love with with the game of basketball straight away. I mean, part of it as well was I was just so much taller than everybody, you know, I was naturally good at it. Um, I was close to the rim. When when you're playing at the age of 10, 11, 12, um, not a lot of people are skilled in basketball at that age, so hype helps massively. Uh, obviously, we, we know now in, in the NBA and the lead of the elite you know, professional realm. But height's becoming overrated; it's not really a thing. Uh, we' at that age, it is. So I was dominating and just started, you know, really falling in love with the game. And um, I quickly, quickly realized, like, yeah, this this is what I want to do. This is what I want to keep playing. And I played all day, every day. I uh, dribbled the ball to school. I dribbled back from school. I slept with the basketball. My dad signed me up to all kinds of teams. Um, and then quickly I uh, I think by the age of fifteen, I quickly started emerging as one of the best young juniors in in Australia. Um, I played uh, played a lot, so yeah I, I, that's when I so I played at nationals, uh, played represented New South Wales, and then um by the age, by the age of seventeen, I was selected to to go to the Australian Institute of sport.
0: And if you and if you think about the journey to that point, as yeah. you as you started to be identified as a as a, as an individual of elite talent what are the things that you thought about when it came to expectations expectations of yourself for yourself and expectations yeah. that other people may have had on you which may have continued to push you in the direction of sport
1: Yeah the expectations were always high the moment I the moment people saw my potential at, at age 12 they always had they always had high expectations on me but you know I had I, pro- I had high expectation of myself i think i had the most the highest expectations of is, it was from me and i put the most pressure on myself and i think that probably i didn't know it at the time but that was probably a good thing on uh, i don't know maybe i had a natural ability to be able to handle that pressure I, I don't know but i did um and i just kept pushing myself to be the best that i can be i used to you know work on my game so much i, I would, I would train by myself after team trainings, uh, do individuals, I'd go out and run by myself, you know, at a certain age I started hitting the gym. Um, so, yeah, the, the expectations were high everywhere, uh, but, but the biggest expectations came from myself.
0: And as you got to the AIS and then it became very clear that you could take this passion and love of, of the game of basketball and actually turn it into a career, you went from the AIS, you were playing alongside a lot of household names now and we're talking about mm. patty mills joe Ingalls, aaron baines who are all over in the nba yeah when you moved across to the us to college basketball mm. did your mindset suddenly change to get to go you know what i actually could go all the way and end up making a career out of this at the highest level being the nba uh
1: yes that that, that mindset actually came out there yes um We we had a lot of NBA scouts come and watch us train. We had college scouts watch us train. Started getting interest, you know, internationally. I had we had we had um, we had agents approach us and and talk to us about professional basketball. And also keep in mind, I, I I mentioned at the start, I'm from Croatia, so I have a Croatian passport, which made it a lot easier for me to play professionally in Europe. That was highly attractive to a lot of agents. So I, I, I knew as soon as the you know, day one at AIS I knew that I could have a long and successful career in basketball, um, and then when I got to college that solidified it even more. And and the good thing about AIS that they um, in te- highly intense training it prepares you so well, not just for basketball but for life in general. Which you know lessons I learned later on. Uh, I, I learned it at the time, but I didn't actually utilize those lessons until later on. Uh, I think it, it engraves it in you subconsciously and comes out when it needs to, and it did for me. But um, at, at college, I had so much confidence because here I was playing with the best of the best in Australia. Don't get me wrong, the college I was extremely high, but what I went through at the AIS completely prepared me for college, and, and I started excelling uh, I started excelling quite quickly as soon as I got to college. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going
0: to make a career out of basketball. Yeah. I mean, having that confidence is such an important thing when it comes to professional sport, as we all know. If you think about the, that journey from the AIS across to the US, can you, can you just talk a little bit about the US college basketball system? I read a book recently which provides a massive insight into the fact of just how big it is over there and how, depending on South Carolina, North Carolina, they're, they're great basketball breeding grounds in the US, as I understand it. Can you talk about what it was like to transition across to the, to, yeah. to the, to the college system, but also you're being educated as well, so you're playing basketball, <clears> but you're also getting a degree? Because one of the things which I'm really fascinated to talk with you about as well is that, is there any focus at all, either at the AIS or at college, about life after sport and other things that you couldn't be doing other than just playing basketball?
1: There's definitely a focus on it in college uh, and, and also at the AIS. So the, the, the AIS basically was, is a, the, the basketball program. I don't know how it is today, but they created a breeding ground for college athletes, so they, they created a schedule for us that's as intense as the college schedule. Can, can, we, just, right, can
0: so? we just, for the sake yeah. of our audience, can you just talk about what, yeah. what sort of era this was? So we're talking, what, 10 years ago?
1: Oh, yeah, so I was there in 2004. Yep. Um, yeah, that's right, yeah. And then I went, I went to college in 2005, graduated in, in 2009. But uh, we, there was definitely education on life after sport, how engaged the athletes were into it. I don't know. You know I, I wasn't. Um, and, but you still the, the, in, in college system, you still have to maintain a certain grade point average, the GPA, so you, you have to have a certain score on your exams to be able to actually qualify to play. So they do force you to, to study um, and you know, pass whatever grades or whatever you're doing at the time. But as far as awareness, you know, awareness post sport, I would say that it's there and they coach you. But how engaged the athlete is and how much they think about it, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I, I, don't think a lot of athletes think about post sport
0: while they're an athlete. And you know, I'm sure we'll come to that discussion as well. I, I didn't think about it as much as I needed to. And if you look back on it, what were some of the things that you took out of out of that episode of your life? If you reflect back now, with respect to Going all in with basketball and not really considering about what might happen or what are the things you might want to do when you when you finish up.
1: What I took from, and I think the the skill set that I gained in college, especially, um, was as I said, they force you to do the they force you to do well in school because you have to have a certain, as I should say, grade point average. Um, so it taught me how to complete tasks, how to commit to something. Outside of of basketball, Um, but again, at at the same time, it doesn't teach you to find. Don't get me wrong; you still don't care nowhere near as much as you do about basketball. So you know, all I was caring about was basketball, and then his university course is a little side piece, side project. (laughs) I'm just doing this to make sure that I can play. So I think you know the the motivation factor behind it. I don't know if it's if it's the best. it, it works well for some people. Some people it, it, it doesn't. Um, I, I again, I, I don't think I was as engaged as I should have been in in the in the studying side of things.
0: But I mean, the interesting thing about and this is what I love about the the college system. In certainly in certain sports, is there, you know, you go and you're identified as an elite talent. You go to a college in the U.S. and you play basketball for four years, but you also ended up in your case with a degree in, in, in communication. Now, yeah. that degree in communication would clearly be helping you now and even yeah. as you, when you first got injured and, and realised that uh, you weren't going to be playing basketball for the, for the next 10 or 12 years, that you could use that degree in communication to, to develop a narrative around what you were going to do for the rest of your life with respect to just transitioning out of sport to something else as opposed to, to maybe sitting down and, and going, well, look, I've got – no skills other than basketball. I don't really know a lot, but you had at least you had the ability or the opportunity to to study a degree in communications at the same time as playing basketball.
1: Exactly, that's what I love about. It. I know a lot of the Australian elite Australian sporting codes are putting in a similar system where the especially the young athletes are encouraged to to go to university or do something outside of sport. But that's what's amazing about the college system in the US is they obviously force you to. Upskill yourself in something outside of your sport. So certainly, uh, and, and again, I'll, I'll speak to the, to the subconscious level. I probably, I definitely developed so many skills going to school at uh, at, at, a, at a college, at a university in the US, in terms of my communication skills, you know, written, verbal, and, and other areas. Um, that I actually didn't, I didn't properly start using. In that until some years later, because all I cared about was was basketball. But just to paint a picture, because I know that there's a lot of people in, in Australia who, who don't quite understand exactly what college sports in the US are about. make no mistake about it, it's professional sport. You you actually you're more than a professional. You the the, the locker rooms are top level. There is so much money that's thrown into college sports. I don't know how aware of that people in Australia are. And that's certainly something I'm trying to raise awareness of at the moment. of a student athlete. But don't make a mistake about it. You are a professional athlete uh, in in the college system in the US. You train all day, every day, plus also going to school. It's an extremely hard and tough schedule, and you have to be extremely disciplined. Um, so, so that's why I talk about, you know, although I was at university, Basketball was the, the, the main focus, and a, a lot of the college sports in the US bring in a lot of money for the school, bring in a lot of money for the school. Um, so, yeah, just, just want to get that out there. It's, it's, an, it's a professional sports environment, although you're amateur, uh, it's, you're amateur because you don't get paid, but everything else is
0: professional. And I'll think about the, the, the book that I mentioned earlier, it uh, was about the three coaches, Jerjewski. Uh, uh, and a couple of other guys whose names have escaped me at the moment. But the one thing which which staggered me about the story that this book was all about was the fact that the, the crowds and the the engagement that basketball has with colleges around the US is enormous and the stadiums are big and the crowds are, are, are big and obviously there's a lot of pressure that goes with that. But when you were playing... And you've, So you've come from Australia, and obviously there are were, there were guys that have gone before you into the NBA and girls that have gone before you into the WNBA. The confidence that you had that you mentioned earlier from the AIS, did that translate to the college system, knowing that you were, you were just probably one of a whole lot of highly talented basketballs? It, it did. It definitely did. Um,
1: it, it's, a, it's a bit different with, with, with myself. It, it did for the first kind of four months I was there. I was massively probably overconfident, and then <laughs> and and then so yeah, my my, my freshman year, my first year in, in, in college, I didn't really play a lot. I think slightly because I was overconfident, and it was it was a massive slap in the face. A little bit as, as to you know probably third fourth week of the season, I'm like, geez, these dudes are another level. Like this is another level. I played Division One college basketball, so I, I played against the likes of Steph Curry. No, Steph Curry wasn't at this level that I'm talking about back then. Um, but it's just a whole nother level. And I thought I was ready for it. I wasn't. And, and I diminished my playing time completely. It wasn't until my junior year in college where I started performing well. and uh, to, to, Towards the back end of my sophomore year, actually. And then my junior year, I, started, I was a starting power forward for, for the team, and same as a senior. Um, but yeah, it, took, it took me some time to adjust to the intensity and the level of talent that's there.
0: I mean, the level of talent is quite extraordinary. I know in history, generally speaking, a lot of basketballers may be in Jordan's era and, and maybe even a fraction after that would always go to college before they be turned pro. But obviously over the course of the last decade or so, and I guess, you know, one of the more celebrated ones is, uh, oh God, who, who am I talking about? LeBron James. LeBron James is a is a guy that just went straight from from school to to basketball sort of bypass the, the college system. I mean, did you think that as you were going through your journey at college that you could make it in the NBA? Um, it's,
1: it's, it's a good question. Uh, I'll, I'll be completely honest. My The first four to five months, of my freshman year, I did. I did because we did a lot of um, – I came early, so I did summer school, then we went through preseason, and in the first couple of games, I was absolutely smashing it, and then the, the intensity of everything caught up with me, and, and the extreme level of talent, and then I was kind of brought back down to earth, I didn't think I was good enough for the NBA, but I did think I was good enough for high-level Europe, and then that was kind of, the if I'm going to be, uh, you know, at a certain point in your career, you kind of have to be realistic, and honest with yourself, and I thought I could make a strong career at somewhere high-level Europe, which you is still high-level, you know, high-level and you make a lot of money. Um, and that was, uh, you know, uh, that was the trajectory for, for me to, to play somewhere high-level Europe, uh, and I quickly realised, yeah, I don't think I'd be good enough for, for the NBA.
0: And when you were on this this journey, was money ever a motivating factor for you? Because obviously, you know, both in Europe and in the NBA especially, you know, you can make yeah. a hell of a lot of money very quickly. So was money yeah. money at all a motivating factor in the in, in basketball for you?
1: Yeah, de- definitely. And I got to a point in my sophomore year in college where I was offered to play uh, in the NBL um, professionally, and I was I wanted to take it really badly. You I say mean, you start making money, but my my dad actually, uh, my parents. You know, I, I've done two years of completing my degree. And all I had was another two years left, and they, they basically they put their foot down and said, no, you're going to finish your degree, uh, and then you'll have opportunities to play in the NBL again. Uh, and then they were right. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm, to this day, I'm, I'm thankful they did that, actually, because uh, um, hypothetically, I, I went and played NBL, and I still, I still would have obviously gotten injured, as I did, with no degree at the time. So yeah, I'm glad I, I stuck stuck with it and completed my degree.
0: You know, just for all the listeners out there, our parents do know best, and I try to explain that to my four kids. That occasionally we've got we've been on the planet for a little longer than you guys, so we've got a little little bit of experience up our sleeves. We fast forward. You finish college, you go to Europe, and you're playing there. Uh, You're playing across, as I understand it, Greece, Cyprus, Macedonia, and Croatia, which was for you another dream come true. You obviously family connections in Croatia. So two years into your pro career. It all as, as your words say, you it all came crashing down. You developed a serious knee injury. It wasn't a spe- as I understand it, it wasn't a specific one specific issue. It it was this something that just developed over time. Just yeah. tell us a little about the injury and then we'll start talking a little bit more about the transition out and how you became highly skillful and, and a high performer in the sales area of business and then which yeah. eventually led to what we will we'll speak a fair bit about about your business, which is athlete to business.
1: Yeah, definitely. The injury that I had was an overuse injury. Um, And the whole process of me getting injured is a massive life lesson for anything going forward. And if I'm going to be honest, the reason I got injured was because I never actually properly took care of my body as a professional athlete should. Uh, You know, I, I, I hardly ever got massages. I hardly ever saw the physio. I was supposed to wear orthotics on my feet, but my first my first uh, contract in Europe, professional contract, I didn't. I refused to wear orthotics, because they make your shoes a bit uh, heavier,
0: yeah.
1: and kind of, I was already slow as it is. I don't want to get any slower and, and, and put on more weight on my shoes, but that was, that was dumb of me. Um, I, I was just never one to cool down after training, you know, do cold and warm baths, just because I never had any injury problems before. I thought I was unbreakable. That's why I got injured. Um, and, and, and over time, over time, I developed uh, a serious cartilage stare. And when I was in Croatia during just when the season started, um, I just couldn't run anymore. It was painful. And I got, an, got an MRI and so I had a cartilage stare And basically, long story short, the doctor said, you're going to need surgery. You'll be out for at least six months. I ended up being out for a year and a half, <laughs> so that's that's when uh, that's when I was forced to come
0: back home to Sydney and, and figure figure out my life. So you spent some time obviously convalescing back in Australia, and you, your knee, as you said, over a, a year and a half, recovered. You're good enough to go and then continue to play in Aubrey with Donga. Yeah. And you said that you know that it's clearly a pivotal moment in your life. Not only did you play in a team that won the championship, and you yeah. said that you it was the most fun you'd had and the greatest enjoyment yeah. from, a, from a team perspective you had but at the same time uh, you met a sales manager who really set you on the next component on the next path of your life which was yeah. wo- which was working in media sales
1: yeah yeah so i when i got the gig in albury with dongo it's a semi-professional contract after a year and a half of being out of the game and struggling through that whole period um i was good enough to get a semi-professional gig once my knee got better and as you, when you play semi professional in Australia, I'm sure you know you don't really get paid full-time salary, so you still need a job. And I had options of getting a part-time job and then focusing on my basketball career. I was 26, 27 at the time. And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't want to go through that down period again, and clearly I have some knee issues. This It's not like this could happen again. And I said to myself, you know what? How about I get a proper job and work towards something outside of basketball? And the sales manager at a particular company there offered me the role. Um, I, started, I started in the role and I ended up doing really well. I'll go in a second why. But six months in the role, she said to me, we, we were just having a conversation and she said to me, the reason she hired me is because she said, I just saw the mongrel in you. I see that you're an elite athlete and she watched you play as well. And she just said that type of attitude Translates really well in sales, and you didn't know it at the time. But I was confident enough to get it out of you, and she did. She got it out of me. She got the mongrel out of me, and I learned to with the, with the help uh, and a couple of other um, amazing people there in Overdonga. I learned to translate all those high performing habits that you pick up from sport into sales and into business, and then yeah, my, my business career just started taking off from there.
0: And this is something which is which I want to unpack a little bit because. You're placing athletes into businesses now, which we'll get to shortly, but did you realise at the time, so before you started working in media sales, that, that you could easily translate and transfer what you learnt by playing elite sport into the business environment? Because I think one of the things that athletes undersell themselves on is the amazing transferable skills that they have that can be moved across to other aspects of their working lives. And if you think about, you know, performance mindset and sacrifice, uh, diligence, you know, doing doing that little bit extra, all of the things that made you what you were from a basketball perspective, you clearly took in to a business role and you excelled at that and now you're excelling at what you're doing with the business you have started. But did you think at the time about the, the skills that you had that could be brought to bear in other aspects of work?
1: I, I did probably uh, about three months into the role. I, I did because I quickly realised, and as I'm sure you know, business is all about people and stories and, and connections and creating trust. P- people love, we're all human beings and we're all, we're all emotional beings and, and and people love hearing good stories, connecting with, with others who are interesting i think that's what business is all about and then i quickly realized my story as an athlete is very interesting to those who didn't go down that path if that makes sense absolutely um, i i thought it was a story of failure like what are you talking about i, I tried to play in the nba and then i went try to play in europe got nowhere, got injured and came home and now i suck um it's like that's a horrible story but but then i quickly realized no like that's to have the balls to, to chase that dream and just to chase a dream is quite a, people really you know, gravitate towards that. And I quickly, quickly learned and I started to learn how to use my story into my sales pitches and create relationships. And I quickly realized in business, people buy from people they like and trust. And, and I use my story and my background in getting, get, getting sales as the end goal, but more importantly, creating relationships to be able to get sales, if that makes sense,
0: yeah. And look, I mean, what you did in the media sales component is exactly the same as what I do in the in the finance industry. I mean, you are not going to go too far if people don't have some connection with you, if they don't trust yeah. you, because at the end of the day, a lot of what we do is we're transacting in trust. And mm. your ability to be able to connect through the stories, and you know, it's clear that the majority of people in life do not, Go through the journeys that you've gone through now, regardless of, of the fact that maybe if things had gone a bit differently, you could have been playing in Europe for ten years. Who, who knows? And yeah, that, and, who knows. Yeah. And, and you know, we we can't spend all of our lives looking at what could, have, could been have been, rather than sorting out what we're going to do. And and that's just a really, it's a simple way to connect and break a barrier down. Uh, you know, if they ask you a question about you know what what were you doing before you did this job, and then. You know, yeah. most people are going to sit there and go, wow, that's just a really cool yeah. story. And you, you know, you're in Albury with Donga, and then three years into the sales career, you moved back to Sydney. Yeah, that's right. I, I uh, so yeah, my first year
1: playing in Albury Donga, we won the championship in 2012, which was amazing. And I ended up staying longer there. My, my goal was to, to play there for one year and potentially go back to the NBL. Um, but I really started liking that job and I saw that I was never going to be an elite of the elite in basketball and, you know, make enough money to be able to live, off, live, off it, live off it for a long time or make a career. So then I, I stayed in Naube Redunga because of that job. I really liked it and I thought I could build a career here in, in, in this uh, industry. And I did and then I got to a point where I, well, I wanted to come back home to Sydney as well where my family and friends are and a, a fantastic opportunity opened up. With another major media company, which I took with open hands, and and um, that really that also took my career to, to the next level.
0: And one of the things which is not necessarily a common trait in the athletes that that I've spoken to, both on the podcast and just generally, is that you you realised that the talents that you had from basketball could be translated very much across to business, and you started craving more and more information, reading books watching YouTube tutorials, studying, you know, with what senior colleagues did. So you really clearly wanted, and it's a fascinating insight into the way that you think because you've gone, well, I was a lead at this aspect of my life. If I'm going to be a lead at this one, which in, in your case was sales, you wanted to learn everything you possibly could about sales. And that's yeah. a really great lesson for people who are looking to transition from sport to the next phase of their lives is that you actually do need to put almost the same amount of work in as you yeah. did from a sporting point of view. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. And when I moved to back to Sydney to work for this big media company, that was it. Basketball was done. You know, that was it. I mean, I played a little bit here, um, but that in terms of elite level, basketball was done. So I was like, okay, well, what? what how do I get better at? This sales thing or, or business, what do I do now? And I spent, to be honest, the first week I came back to Sydney, I, it might have been the second day. I went to um, uh, I went to Dimix. And got some business books. I, I bought uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a which is a book that I still read to this day. It's my smart bible. <laughs> I think it's it's one of the best sales and business books out there. I, I live by that book. It's amazing. Um, and I just yeah, I, I, in, in gross, you know, in basketball, I'd go do extra, put up extra shots. You know, I've got to put up a thousand shots a day or, or five hundred shots, whatever, whatever it is, outside of training. So I said, well, what, what can I do outside of work to, to better myself in this craft? You know, how do I replicate that work ethic from, from basketball into what I'm doing now? And it's reading books, listening to podcasts, um, uh, taking I, I took some communications classes, upskilling myself as much as possible. And then that way that made me better in the game. The game for me was then um, sales presentations and sales pitches to clients. I started to learn how to become, and this is, this is later on and, and now as well. Uh, one thing I struggled with was getting rid of, accepting that I wasn't an athlete anymore but I went from trying to get rid of that athlete uh, persona to no I'm still an athlete but I'm an athlete in business as opposed to so I'm still I still see myself as an athlete because I couldn't get rid of it and I was struggling for that reason because I couldn't get rid of that feeling so then I started thinking of myself I'm an athlete in business and that's where things started turning around for me I had a bit of a clearer picture on on my life.
0: And just before we get to athlete two business, which is a fascinating story in itself, can you just talk about how you felt when you realised that you were not going to play basketball at any level anymore? Was there a, was there a temptation a year or two into the sales role where you thought, "No, I'm going to have another crack," or did you just simply, were you simply one of these people that when you stopped, you stopped?
1: When I realised I wasn't going to play basketball anymore, it was, again, it was it was it hit me like a ton of bricks. To, to be honest. I didn't have another crack at it. I didn't want to have another crack at it because I knew I wasn't good enough anymore. That's just, you know, silly. I wasn't going to make it anyway. I was a bit washed up by then. Um, But I was really disappointed. Again, uh, disappointed is the right word, but I was a bit lost in the fact that I didn't really have another dream to chase. Like, I didn't have anything highly fulfilling. My job was cool and I was paying the bills and I was doing well, but I wouldn't call it as a highly fulfilling thing. And unfortunately for a lot of athletes, I don't know if you want to say if this is unfortunately or fortunately, because we're so used to doing something that we're highly fulfilled about and highly passionate about. It's hard to replicate that in anything else. Um, and, and and unfortunately, and again, I don't know if the, if the word is unfortunately or fortunately, um, but in anything else, we compare everything to basketball. To our sport like why hold up I need to be as passionate about what I'm doing now as I am about basketball which is the wrong mentality to have so you hit me like a ton of bricks he's just like I'm just not as passionate as well. I need I need passion in my life I need I need something to work towards I need a dream and then that's when I said you know what one day some passion will come to me it doesn't grow in trees something will come to me I'm going to maybe run my own business whatever it is but at the moment all I can do is just be the very best I can be in this particular job and I can learn as much as I can because this will help me one day when I do find my passion and then eventually my passion came along.
0: And that passion is athlete to business.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Tell us about <laughs> tell us about that, mate. It's a great story.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so essentially I feel like I'm playing basketball again with this. So athlete to business came along because along my journey I realised, you know, in my business journey I met a lot of other athletes who were high performers in the business space? I just noticed a lot of other athletes. Once they transfer those high performing habits from sport into business, sales or, or management, they my, my sales manager at my um, one of my media companies I worked for was a former former athlete himself, and there was a few of them. But I just realised athletes are high performers in business. I'm like that is really you know powerful that athletes can be extremely successful in business, but at the same time. I noticed a lot of other athletes struggle with that transition phase like I did. So the, the idea hit me. I, I just thought, look, you know what? Wouldn't it be interesting if there was an organization that specifically helps athletes with that trans transition phase, but at the same time places them with companies who can utilize those unique skills and experiences, and, and there wasn't, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it, <laughs> and here I am. That's essentially what I do. I, I connect uh, businesses with these high-performing individuals which are are athletes.
0: Can you tell us about some of the lessons that you've learned about the athletes that you deal with and the athletes that you place into businesses? A couple of things. Firstly, do you think that they appreciate the transferability of their skills? What are their confidence levels like when they are transitioning and what do you think is the biggest issue facing athletes from a transition perspective?
1: I'll answer that last question first because it's so clear what I've learned in the last um, almost two years that I've been running this business is communication skills. Communication skills is the biggest skill set that companies look for. And, uh, and I think you'd agree is, is highly essential for success in anything you do in life. And I, I just think a lot, a lot of athletes I come across, and I was the same, although I did a communication degree, my corporate level of communication skills I was Pool. Um, so I think a lot of athletes should focus on their communication skills, and that that goes in along with sales skills, negotiation skills, um, uh, empathy, business awareness, and and networking skills. That that I think is, is missing. Um, and then in terms of if athletes are aware of their transferable skills, it's it's a fifty fifty to be honest. Not not a lot. A lot are not aware of it, but there's, there's a few that aren't aware of it as well. And, and that's what I'm here for. I'm trying to uh, help athletes. Uh, I'm raising awareness that athletes do have a lot of transferable skills. But those that don't know it, I'm here to teach them and show them how to transfer those skills into the
0: business world. And so apart from being, uh, if you like, a, almost a recruiter for both for businesses yeah. and for athletes, yeah, you're, you're a mentor to athletes. Can you talk a yeah. little bit about your own experiences with mentors? Because every athlete that I've spoken to say the same thing, that mentors have been incredibly important to them as they've gone through their journey. Can you talk a little bit about maybe one or two mentors that you've come across over your career and how they've helped you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I have a business coach slash mentor now, and I've only we started working together about a year and a half ago. Man, and it's absolutely priceless like it's unbelievably helpful to me um and I, I i didn't have a mentor as such prior to that um you know i said i was looked up to my dad a lot and um and a couple of a couple of my coaches throughout my basketball career as well but in terms of looking like, you know, up a, a business mentor I've never had one before, and, and since having one, it's helped me so much. And I highly—I I wish I found a business mentor earlier. Um, I highly recommend anyone to to get a mentor. Someone, and, and it's people usually ask me, you know, what who do you recommend? What type of mentor should I get? Someone who who's been there, or someone who is where you want to be. Essentially, um, that's that's all. I, yeah, I, I highly recommend getting a mentor.
0: And can you tell me maybe one or two things that your business coach? mentor is teaching you that you either didn't know or didn't realize but you did know if you started to dig deeper
1: yeah so full transparency i was running this business on the side um, for about a year and a half before launching into it full time
0: and that's and And, let's face it that's how you know side hustles are the the way now and and uh you know i'm assuming that you know, athlete to business will be one of the unicorns, like uh, Atlassian and Canva and, and other things, right? That's how the side hustle starts.
1: Oh, I hope so, man. Let's uh, let's see how we go. But no, I understand. I'm a big advocate of, of side hustles done the right way. And one of the biggest things I was always I, I was always scared to jump into this full time. It even started getting some traction, but I was still still scared to jump into this full time. And one thing my mentor said to me, which made me jump into this full time, is he said, Alex. It's more important to be employable than it is to be employed. And I like, right. And he goes, you are 100% employable. So you think it's a risk to jump into this full-time. It's not really. You'll be fine. And you know, other things that go into it. But yeah, that, that phrase there like gave me the confidence to jump into a full-time. And, and he's right. And I, without sounding arrogant or anything like that, um, he's, he's absolutely right. That, he made me realize that. And, and one other thing that a business coach and a mentor does really well so a good mentor is he never gives me the answers. He never gives me what I'm looking for. He finds a way for me to get the answer out, for me to find a solution to that problem. It's, it's very, very skilled to do that. Don't know he does it, but it's like while well, I was coming up with a solution, and he's, he, he, he it, you don't, le- you don't learn things until you actually come up with the answer and I think that's the best way to, to mentor somebody because obviously I do a bit of mentoring there as well uh, with, with athlete transitioning.
0: And that and that's really the secret of what I would call a coach. A coach is, is there to cajole and get things out of the individual and without too much effort they end up working it out for themselves rather than, exactly. rather than being told. Before we get a little bit further into this chat I, I'd love you to tell me why you were frightened to jump, why were you frightened to to just to to go full time into athlete to business.
1: Yeah, good question. Um, I've got a mortgage and kids. That's one reason. I was I was I was afraid of failure, and if I failed, I had a lot to lose. Uh, so not not just a lot to lose. a lot to risk. Uh, I do I do want to put others at risk as well? Um, so yeah, scared of failure was the biggest thing, and um, being highly vulnerable, right? Which which ended up finding out, you know, quickly jumping into a full-time, I wish I started it earlier, but also being vulnerable is the most liberating thing of all time. I love being vulnerable, you know? The so, yeah, vulnerable right now talking to you and you know, putting this <laughs> on, on, on public, and uh, I love it. I think that, and, and, and it it's, I, I don't know if you've seen, I do a lot of uh, social media posting where I can be as vulnerable as possible, but it really helps connect with uh, with, with businesses, with athletes. I think people people connect to vulnerability, Um so that I was scared of being vulnerable, and I was scared of failure, and I quickly realised that um, you just need to. You'll always be scared. I'm still scared, uh, but I now know how to dance with that fear. It's uh, it's exhilarating. It's the same as playing basketball. You know, again, t- t- athletes have a natural skill set. Elite athletes have a natural skill set to be entrepreneurs, because um, you're you're essentially out there. You're playing in a team, but at the end of the day, you're. You're out for yourself as well. Um, you, you know you're, you're playing at a high-pressure situation, highly vulnerable. All
0: eyes are on you, which that's the makeup of an entrepreneur, I think. And you're risk takers because you're putting Risk-taker. a lot you're putting yeah. a lot on the line. And and you mentioned before about about vulnerability and connection. I mean, I think you know that's that's what the world is now. I mean, you know, there's so much that goes on. You know, Brené Brown and all those authors who have written <clears> books about <throat> vulnerability. I love Brene Brown. And, yeah. she, and she's amazing. And a, and a friend of mine, Ben Crow, is another who's a, a, an athlete, mentor, and coach to the likes of Ash Barty uh, and others, the Richmond Football Club, who have done very well off the back of some of the lessons that he's helped them learn. And if you, if you then translate this into what I'd call your clients, the athletes that you're working with, but also the businesses that you're placing yeah. these athletes into. Let's start with the businesses first, then we'll get to the athletes because I think this is really important for our listeners, especially the athletes who are starting to think about what next is on the horizon after sport. What are the things that the businesses want from an athlete and what can the businesses learn from the athlete?
1: The high performance attitude is why businesses love partnering with and hiring athletes. They want that drive, they want that discipline, they want that resilience, they want that work ethic in their businesses, in, in their uh, business environment. I've, I've had, out of the athletes that I've placed in businesses so far, the most common feedback I get is, wow, Alex, I love that person's resilience, you know, I, I love that person's drive, I love their work ethic, and, that, and that's exactly, you know, why I started this business is to try and um, raise awareness to corporate Australia and, and the world of the value that athletes can bring to business. Uh, and it's—I'm you know, a big advocate for higher attitude and teach skill, or don't don't hire don't try and hire skilled people and then try and motivate them. That's really hard. Uh, instead, you should hire motivated people and then upskill them. I think that's a lot easier. At, at the end of the day, someone who's not motivated—you know—good luck trying to motivate them. Um, whereas athletes are all about motivation, drive, and resilience, and. And, and hunger, and more, 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 let's do it, let's do it, you know, the, the fast-paced environment. And also someone that does the most common feedback that I get, and that's why businesses want to hire athletes. Um, but also athletes accept responsibility and they're open to feedback. You know, in sport, we get feedback from coaches all the time. Hey, you're not you're doing a shit job right now, change it, do this. Okay, done. Whereas a lot of people apparently um, are not open to that or take take things personally where athletes don't. Um, so that, that's the transferable skills that I'm talking about that athletes have
0: um, and, and can be highly useful in, in the business world. And I mean, I think that, you know, the thing is, is that I have this saying of full, frank, fearless feedback, the four Fs, because the one thing that I've learned over my life in business is that if you're working with someone or for someone and You often don't get the feedback that you crave unless you ask for it. And if you're doing something, if you're doing something that's maybe annoying them or pissing them off, or you're not doing something the way that they want it to or want you to, invariably they won't tell you, unless it's a complete disaster. And if they're telling you, they're usually usually telling you as you're walking out the door. And so, so you know, I'm a big believer in 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 occasionally just sitting down with the people you work with and say, hey. How am I going? Give me, give me some feedback. And to your point before, you know, whether you're a basketballer, or a cricketer, or a footballer, or a hockey player, or a swimmer, whatever, you're getting feedback all the time. If obviously from a basketball perspective, you're winning or you're losing. Plus, when you're training, they you say, "Hey, your jump shots no good, or you're not blocking well enough, or whatever." So, you are constantly being told the good and the not so good. But in business, it's not, it's not like that. You, you you're not. No. There's, there's not a scorecard there every day to kind of give you some no. sort of guide. Tell me a bit about the worries of the athletes that you are speaking with and your your placing. What are the things that worry them as they come to you as part of their plan for what's going to be next in their life? Uh, I,
1: I love that point about the lack of feedback. First of all, in, in the business world, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a, in a second. Uh, as that's the number one thing that athletes struggle with once they start in a role. Um, but anyway. The, the, the biggest thing that athletes worry about, and I find it, you know, it's 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 commonly what I worried about as well is, uh, look, a lot of them don't think they're good enough for something going forward. Uh, what what skill set do I have now? What can I what can I offer? What can I, what can I do in the business world? Um, which is obviously easily fixed. The other one is uncertainty, like not sure what I want to do, where I want to go, um, and pr- and probably the biggest one is. And I struggled with this is a lot of athletes are trying to – that they, they have no patience. you got to understand you've got to start from the bottom of the barrel again. You know, you've got to play on that junior team, so you've got to be the one delivering coffees or whatnot. Some athletes are so good at that and are patient. But athletes are not patient in the sense that they want to do what they're passionate about straight away. Some feel entitled. I oh, was an elite athlete. I should be CEO right now or whatever, or you know, I should be, quotation marks, saving the, the whales. Um a, a, a lot of athletes think that they should be doing something that they're passionate about. That it doesn't work that way. You, you, you got to put in the work ethic, and you got to start again from the bottom. But you've you've done it before. You can do it again. And in actual fact, for the majority of us athletes, the rewards in doing it again and succeeding in something else are a lot higher than than it is in sport. As you know, only like less than one percent make it to the top of the top of their sport. Um, but the, the athletes, the other 99% can be actually so much more successful in business than they were ever in their sport. I am, um, case but so many other athletes that I know are a lot more successful in business than they ever were in sport.
0: You mentioned earlier about passion, and you played basketball to start with because you were passionate about it, and Steve Menzies, uh, rugby league legend, Uh, Played for Manly for 16 years and was interviewed on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. And Steve talked about when he transitioned back into life after sport, he was an ambassador for the Manly Rugby League Club and drifted for a couple of years before he had a conversation with a person which sent him down a new path to another passion, which was working in the finance and mortgage broking industry, and he loves it. And that's something that, that I i found incredibly inspiring and uplifting because it can be very difficult to replicate. In fact, it's impossible to replicate how you feel when you're playing sport in front of big crowds and all the rest of it when you're sitting in an yeah. office. You know, <laughs> it's impossible. No one's yeah. cheering. <laughs> but
1: if, they, if they are cheering, they're going to hedge up. Whatever. Yeah,
0: go <laughs> But yeah. The, the thing is, is that he's used another passion to push his life forward. Tell me about some of the, if you like, the careers that these people that you're now placing are having? I mean, what, what sort of businesses do athletes generally have a, an affinity to or, or or more of a likelihood of succeeding? Is it a particular sector? Is it a particular discipline? I mean, what are some of the jobs that you've been you've been placing athletes into? Uh, s-
1: sales and, and finance. Uh, it comes in and starts. And sales is you know, real estate, business development manager, account manager, relationship manager, anything all various different types of industries, um, including uh, recruitment as well. A, lo- a lot of athletes are placed in recruitment roles. They tend to do well. I find that it's the easiest transition and the most um, natural transition for athletes is, is in some sort of sales environment because, and i found this with myself as well, you're right, the, It's you, you won't get the fans cheering anymore. It's not the same as playing in the game, but what, what do athletes love about that whole cheering part and playing in front of people and scoring goals or getting buckets or winning a race. It's the adrenaline rush, really. It's the adrenaline rush that that's that's highly addictive. And I find sales, you get the same adrenaline rush. That it's a similar adrenaline rush to, to sport. You know, you make a big sale or you do a big presentation, you feel on a high afterwards, you know, like even talking to you here, I feel in like a bit of a, a bit of an a high, just communicating with, with people. Um, and then that high lasts for a bit and it goes away just like sport. Uh, then, then you, you know, you do the hard yards, you do the training. Also, a lot of people don't know, but you know, let's say you play games on Saturday, but you're training Monday to Friday, That training stuff. Like you battling through a lot of, the you know, hard training hours, tough times, um, and then the rewards in the game. And it's the same thing in sales. You've got to do the hard yards, make your calls, um, prospect, generate leads. But then when you do the presentations and you win, you win sales, you, you get people to sign on the dotted line. That's the adrenaline rush. So I find that as the most natural progression.
0: Yeah, and that, and that makes a lot of sense. And, and certainly – you know, there's a there's a sort of a thrill of the chase when you you're in a sales environment and when you actually do nail a sale, it is absolutely adrenaline pumping. There's no question about that. I've got two more questions to I want to speak yeah. with you about. If you think about an athlete who is coming to the end of their their career, what would you suggest to them when it comes to speaking to someone like you about how you might be able to help them? And what are the what are the things that you want from an athlete before you're confident enough to know enough about them to place them two things
1: one is they need to have solid communication skills you need to be able to have a a confident professional conversation with another business owner If, if i if i see that they have that fantastic the other thing is having the patience and the acceptance so sorry acceptance first that sport is over And then having the patience that it will take me some time now to find something else that I'm passionate about. But in the meantime, I'm going to apply myself wholeheartedly like I did in my sport to learn as much as I can and upskill myself as much as I can and just do the best that I can. Uh, Having faith and knowledge that something that I'm really passionate about will come along eventually. So, so so, So the communication skills is always number one. And then... Two is the patience and acceptance.
0: And Um, if you look at it from a percentage perspective, when you first speak with athletes, how many sit in that category of A, having great communication skills and B, having the patience to learn? And if they don't, what do you do with them? Yeah,
1: (laughs) good question. Um, I was part of this percentage as well, okay, Uh, in terms of I don't fit that bill. But, um, yeah, full, full, full transparency Two out of ten athletes I meet with fit that bill. So eight don't.
0: That's a worry in itself, from the perspective. Yeah, well, of it,
1: it, I know, and it's the truth. Though I don't want to sugarcoat it, or um, if people might, I don't know, disagree, get angry, whatnot, what and uh, fall back in there. You're wrong, or it's it's the truth.
0: It's just uh, it's actually I might have maybe high expectations, um, but
1: I'm just getting feedback from my clients, from from corporates, and from businesses who are trying to hire athletes, but um I, I know and it's it is a bit of a bit of a worry I'm in the process of slowly hopefully trying to fix that and raise more awareness um, and I'll tell you in a second how but yeah two, two of them so eight eight don't I would say eight out of ten don't fit that bill unfortunately maybe I haven't met the right ones yet but I've been doing this for two years now and, and the numbers are about eight out of ten do
0: don't. And that, that tells me that there's a there's some work to do, maybe from the athletes. We've yeah. been, I've always a big believer that, you know, if it is to be, it's up to me. You've got to go out and do it yourself. You can't wait for others to do it for you. And perhaps uh, sports, codes, et cetera, need to think about what are the some of the things that they could potentially be helping address to ensure that as their athletes are coming out of the sport that they're in, that they're giving themselves yeah. an opportunity to be prepared for life after sport before the, the penny drops. Now, mate, we could talk for hours. You've been incredibly generous with your time and it's been a, a no, really interesting you. conversation. I ask this question to every guest. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about your journey in professional sport and your transition to life after sport if you knew then what you know now?
1: Two things. I'll, I'll go on to uh, – no regrets, first of all, but, but two things. I'll go into the technical side of things and then the emotional side of things. The emotional side of things is I would have a lot more patience and I would accept that basketball was over a lot sooner. <laughs> what I said earlier, patience and acceptance. I was part of the eight that didn't have that, right? Uh, so I would, I would quickly just get over it and start trying for something else. The technical side of things, if I'm going to be honest, uh, and I, I, I w- and you know, we've seen it through COVID, the, the most sought after jobs. During COVID, were essential workers, weren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, if I could do it all over again, I would get a technical degree. So that would be maybe law, um, not medicine. I don't think I would do uh, that engineering, something within physiotherapy, uh, any kind of technical degree, uh, mechanical engineering, civil, psychology. I try, but I quit quickly. I quit. I just couldn't apply myself. I, I would do that. I would do that, and then I would learn. And I am learning now. So, Learned and getting better and better is is sales skills. What I found in my journey in business the most successful people, like I'm talking, when I say successful, financially successful as well, multi, multi millionaires, highly successful business owners are ones who have a technical. Degree or technical knowledge, and then pick up emotional intelligence in sales. Does that make sense? Accountants, lawyers, who then become business owners, are oh man. That's a that's a formula for success right there. And and also, there's less risk. If you fail, you can always go be a lawyer again or, or engineer or whatnot. Do you know what I mean? So that if I could do it all over again, I would. I would probably get a technical degree and go down the path that I'm going now because I'm off for the challenge that I'm going for but at the moment what I'm doing is really risky and I get scary and vulnerable but I'll keep going
0: <laughs> that's, that's a great yeah. answer mate and a great way to wrap up Alex thanks so much for joining us enjoy your weekend enjoy the journey that you're on with Athlete to Business and I look forward to seeing you soon mate thanks very much awesome
1: appreciate it mate thanks for your time
0: Hey everyone thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Wide Open Road podcast I'd love to know what you think. So please email me at edward underscore kemp at bigpond.com if you'd like to share your thoughts, suggestions or recommendations with me. And if you happen to know a retired professional athlete who might like to share their story, please contact me as I'd love to speak with them. And if you do like what you hear, please subscribe to the Wide Open Road podcast and share this podcast with your friends. And remember, our next episode will be released in two weeks' time. Until then, all the best.